Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 899. On this week's episode, we are digging into Wednesday's non-tender deadline. A number of players now find themselves as free agents, which will have undeniable effects on an already strange free agent market. Eric Longenhagen and Jason Martinez lead the show by going over the majority of the moves. Who are the biggest surprises? What about the influence of the impending universal DH? And what kind of options are now out there for the teams looking for roster help? You know, even before all the non-tenders came through, if you were to just look at free agent outfielders right now, there's a lot of interesting names that aren't going to be very costly just because there's so many of them. I think most teams aren't going to spend a whole lot of money. After that, Craig Edwards and Ben Clemens spend some time discussing Kyle Schwarber. The 27-year-old slugger was let go by the Cubs, ending a notable run that of course included a fateful World Series championship. But things could have gone a lot differently at many points, starting with where he was drafted back in 2014. He's been worth about 10 wins, you know, plus the the postseason. I think that for a fourth overall pick, that's that's in like the median. If you can get, you know, 10 wins out of out of five major league seasons, basically. Yeah, his shape has been weird because he was just so good right away. Like you often think of getting your 10 wins as it taking a while and them eventually developing into a star. And he's just been solid right from the jump. Fangraphs Audio is made possible by our listeners and supporters. We are doing another Fangraphs Live event on Twitch next week. Since we cannot see anyone at the winter meetings this year, we are also going virtual. On this Tuesday, December 8th, we will be streaming a cocktail hour as Fangrass family and friends hang out and discuss baseball topics. Things will start at 4.30 West Coast, 7.30 East Coast, over at twitch.tv slash Live. Keep an eye on our homepage for more info before then. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. This is lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen coming to you on a chilly, what is it, Wednesday evening from Tempe, Arizona. I am joined by Jason Martinez. Jason, how's it going? It's going great. It's uh, It's been a really busy day. Obviously, today is the non-tender deadline, which is always always a really busy day. It all, all came in at the, last, at the last minute, so just trying to get caught up here, uh, updating all these depth charts, free agent tracker, all the good stuff we have at Fangraphs. Um, and so um, this is cool because this is immediate reaction to a lot of notable stuff that, that happened today. We barely had time to, to think about it all. Yeah, we want to go through as many transactions that occurred today as we can with, you know, some amount of brevity. And yeah, there are a lot of non-tenders. I think I counted 54, which will have set the the single year record which was previously 53 folks who want to look at Jason's transaction tracker should go to the roster resource part of uh the website which you can find in, like the very top bar Jason updates it with like lightning speed it is almost like freakish how quickly he gets all that stuff up there so I'm looking at it right now so yeah I wrote a couple weeks ago and you and I talked about this you helped me with the piece gosh going back a couple months uh, at this point, as like we were preparing for this, what seemed like was going to be an awful lot of non-tenders. And this is a combination of a couple different variables coming together at one time. On the coming deluge of non-tenders is the, the title of the post if folks want to want to read it. But basically, like between the pandemic and what it did to teams' financials, they say, I mean, obviously it wasn't good for any baseball team, for sure. And the combination of thinking that was leading toward more 
roster movement on the bottom of rosters anyway. Modern front offices increasingly see these guys as fungible or are more cost conscious in general. They're a little bit more risk averse with like injured relievers, for example. A lot of these guys are coming on and off the bottom of the rosters. And this takes form in a, in a couple different ways. Uh, it's the worst couple relievers on rosters being optioned up and down pretty consistently. It's taking the form of you know what we saw here today and and Corey Dickerson being waived you know years ago after he was an all-star stuff like that. So what, what was the the one or two this week, Jason that I don't know that you either most surprised you or that you think will be most impactful on either the team that lost the player or the team that will, uh, sign the guy who is now a free agent. I think there are a few, a few of the bigger ones. I don't think there were major surprises. I think they had already been rumored to to be non-tender candidates, and you know, Cal Schwarber, Eddie Rosario are uh, just a couple of the big ones there. You know, somebody like Nomar Mazara is as well. Carlos Rodon for the for the White Sox. Those were all guys that were on the bubble. You you figured, okay, well, even in a normal year. Could be a, a non-tender candidate, maybe not so much with Schwarber because in a normal year, if the Cubs knew that there was going to be a DH in the NL, whatever his salary was going to be, it wouldn't have been a big deal. At this time, I think it wasn't a major surprise. You know, you got maybe maybe a reliever like Archie Bradley was a little bit of a surprise just because he wasn't due to make a whole lot. Yeah, like projected at $5 million, they acquired him you know just a couple months ago at the deadline i was surprised by the bradley one when i was going through on the phone with folks in baseball like listing candidates and he came up someone did say that they thought there was a real chance that he got non-tendered and uh, at about five million someone who i anticipated uh, especially with michael lorenzen moving to cincinnati's rotation i i anticipated that they would have kept bradley i thought that he would have been a good seventh or eighth inning guy on a on any competitive playoff team when he's right. Uh, so yeah, that one surprised me as well. The The Reds surprised me with a, with a couple of their guys. Um, not only Bradley, but Brian Goodwin, who, you know, he's 30. He's a role player. He's a lefty outfield bat with power. Kyle Farmer was non-tendered and then brought back on a one-year deal. He's interesting because I kind of liked what they were doing with him towards the end of last year where they were starting him at short and then if they were winning, Freddie Galvis was coming in and playing short. And this was especially useful, I think, against lefties. But yeah, so it would be interesting to see what they do with him next year. And then Kirk Casale, I know that I like Tyler Stevenson a lot in Cincinnati. He's been in my top 100 for a couple years. Uh, really big, 6'4", 220, super strong athletic catcher with like 60 or 70 grade raw power but a very contact-oriented approach. He's just about ready to play every day, maybe not ready to, to be like a really good offensive player just yet. That might take a little bit of time. But he and Tucker Barnhart, I, I do like together. But I, Kirk Casale, I, I still think like this guy had to have some trade value. He's a pretty interesting platoon catcher, in my opinion, and uh, has performed well in a platoon capacity the last, at least two of the last three years. And uh, I don't know if there was anything underlying about his statistics that made him seem scary to them in 93 plate appearances in 2020 he slashed 224 366 500 you know it's a catcher who slugged 500 so i was kind of surprised by some of the the reds moves today although i can look at the rest of the roster and see what how they they kind of fit 
some pieces in behind these guys. And I feel the same way about Cleveland with Naquin and Delano DeShields being non-tendered with like Daniel Johnson and Oscar Mercado and some of the other young outfielders they have there. That that made some sense to me. Yeah, like David Dahl is the other one that I was just like, wow. Uh, he's 27. He's super duper talented. He's been hurt a ton. And I know the Rockies have a glut of outfield prospects. And well, just, I guess a lot of them aren't prospects anymore. They're just younger outfielders. And that some of them have struggled to find playing time. I mean, they've this has been a case for a lot of their prospects the last handful of years. McMahon, Hampson, Brendan Rodgers, just really struggling to crack that um, that lineup while they've brought in Ian Desmond and David Murphy. Or David Murphy, Daniel Murphy. I'm conflating the two first names. Yeah, Dan- Daniel Murphy. Swing. Thank you. So yeah, David Dahl, I think, would be an interesting pickup for somebody who's taken a flyer on somebody who's super-duper talented but has been hurt a ton. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about both of those teams and their outfield situations, and I'm referring to the Reds and the, the Rockies, is that if you were just to, you know, even before all the non-tenders came through, if you were to just look at free agent outfielders right now, there's a lot of interesting names that aren't going to be very costly just because there's so many of them. I think most teams aren't going to spend a whole lot of money. And so you end up with a ton of guys that are, you know, you kind of have your, you know, especially if you're the Rockies and, and even the Indians where you go, look, I have a bunch of these guys who are, you know, they might have some upside. They might've had some success, but there isn't really anybody, you know, in, in Colorado is not, isn't anybody, but, but Charlie Blackman, who you can just pencil in there and see, I, I know what this guy's going to do. You got Sam Hilliard, you got Ray Maltapia, who was pretty good last year, you know, Garrett Hampson, but you don't know that you can just, you know, you got two spots where, where you you have some uncertainty. And David Dahl was also in that mix. You know, it's a guy who just has, has not been able to stay healthy. So if you were to just say, hey, look, we're the Rockies. Guys want to come here and, and, and hit. You know, they're going to come up here and put up some big numbers. So if we if we just... Look at that free agent uh, market for outfielders. They're not going to have a problem, <laughs> you know, add, adding some production there at, at a value, I think. And then in, in Cleveland, I would say they have pretty much three spots where there, there's certainty. And, and Naquin and DeShiel as well. And who knows what the, the Indians are going to do. You know, they're obviously not not ready to spend a lot of money, but but same deal. There's There's a lot of outfielders available. And even if you get past the ones that are going to cost a lot, you could get past Springer and Ozuna, you know, probably Jock Peterson and Brantley. And, you know, after that, you're going to get, you can probably fill two of those spots in Cleveland with guys that are, you, you just have a better, a better idea of, you know, maybe, maybe you get a, a veteran who, you know, Kevin Pillar type, who's like, okay, he's not going to put up huge numbers, but we know what we're going to get. And then maybe we take a guy with some upside, like a, you know, maybe you take a chance on a Nomar Mazzara or, or, or somebody like that. And, you know, in Colorado, you have a chance to bring, you know, to talk somebody into coming there and saying, hey, you can hit, you know, 30 home runs here. You know, we'll give you a one-year contract for a few million bucks. And you're going to, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to be able to go cash out on a lot more after you put up the huge numbers here. So, not huge surprise, but yeah, definitely David Dell wasn't a guy I was thinking of being non-tendered, but it, it makes sense, you know. And of course, it would be it would be fun if somebody like Kyle Schwarber went there as, as well. A lot of fun. Even somebody like Jock Peterson would put up huge numbers in Colorado. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> it would be. This is part of what's holding things up. And I, I spoke with an agent today who was very frustrated by 
the lack of a quick decision on universal DH. Like there's still so much uh, uncertainty surrounding some things that are really important to what teams are deciding to do during the course of the off season. I mean, this is tangential, but it wouldn't surprise me if MLB was like, good, <laughs> everyone prepare as if there are, are only going to be half uh, a league's worth of DHs. And, uh, and then we'll just tell you after the fact, like when the rosters are set and so there's not, you know, uh, 15 everyday jobs floating out there creating a, a more robust market for the players would, would not surprise me one bit. But yeah, one of the interesting things today is seeing who was the most active. I think if we would have guessed that the Cubs and Brewers would have been on each of our lists, given what those teams have had to do just personnel-wise. Like the Cubs have laid a bunch of people off, and Milwaukee has been behaving in a way uh, like where they've pretty aggressively non-tendered players for the last couple of years. And so those two would have been high on the list of, of teams you would have thought today. Kansas City was one that I did not expect. You talked about teams that have opportunities for at-bats, you know, the Royals are, in my eyes, and, and I think in the eyes of a lot of people in the industry, are rebuilding. But I've spoken with folks over the last couple of weeks who think that the Royals think that they can compete sooner than later. And so today we saw them cut loose Michael Franco, Jason Guzman, Eric Mejia, and Bubba Starling. And look, like, Bubba Starling, who was once one of the top picks in the draft, uh, never worked out. And so that makes some sense to me. He's 28 now. Eric Mejia is sort of a multi-positional utility guy, second base, left field, used to be like all over the place, center field, does not run that well anymore, so he was not tendered. Jason Guzman is 22. He was arguably a premature 40-man ad when they put him on the roster. Like, there was not, it did not seem reasonable to me to think that he was going to get popped in the Rule 5. He was, you know, a glove-first shortstop prospect as an amateur and even as he started to put on weight into his late teens, early 20s, like power did not come along with that. And so the fact that they added him to the roster a couple of years ago was surprising to me. And then the fact that they non-tendered him today was as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Would not surprise me if he comes back on some kind of deal with Kansas City. You're talking about a 22-year-old kid who has lived in you know the, the Royals organization basically for the last six years. So there's a lot of familiarity there, but Kansas City was kind of surprising to me that they were as active today as they were. I mentioned Milwaukee. I thought Milwaukee was going to have to do something with their catching situation that either Omar Narvaez or Manny Pena would have to be cut loose and that the other one and Jacob Nottingham would be the catching tandem next year, but they... I think that they they kept Pena today and agreed to a deal with Narvaez. So their catching mix for next year is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, But Jace Peterson, Ben Gamble, Alex Claudio, all non-tendered. They traded a a sandwich round pick for Alex Claudio a couple years ago and then have non-tendered him in consecutive years. So that's, that's, uh, I don't know how I feel about that as far as evaluating that transaction. I think that's probably a win for the Rangers at this point. Then yeah, we had Eddie Rosario. What do you what do you think of Eddie Rosario? I was talking today. I was going through uh, some of the international prospects for a list that dropped. Folks that are listening to this podcast, it will have dropped yesterday. And the international list includes the guys coming over from Korea and Japan. And there are people who think that you can match Eddie Rosario's production with someone like Mel Rojas Jr. Or if you like some Sung Bum Na, or someone like this coming over from uh, overseas. 
I think Eddie Rosario is a little bit more talented than that. I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts there. I think he's the best guy who was non-tendered today. Yeah, I, I think that they're in a situation now where you look at prospects who are ready to take the next step. And you definitely want to have that depth, in, you know, in your minor, in the minor leagues. And you want these guys to force their way. You don't just want to just hand a job to to Alex Kirilov because he he has, I mean, he was activated for the playoffs, but he didn't even play in the, in the regular season last year. But he's definitely one of those guys who's who's there. He can take the next step, and and you expect him to to make an impact in 2021. They have Brent Rooker who who debuted last year as well, and uh, Trevor Larnach who I think we went into last season as the number. You guys had him ranked yeah. as 55 overall in baseball, 55th ranked prospect, second in the organization, put up big numbers in Double A. In, in 2019 so that's three guys right there and you know maybe they bring Nelson Cruz back they still got that DH spot to fill in and then that leaves just one outfield spot so yeah you, you can go with Eddie Rosario again for you know at whatever nine and a half ten million dollars and you know what he's gonna give you but at some point I think these teams make have to make that decision where we're gonna go with our young guys so I think the, the bigger surprise is that you can, you can trade the guy. Nobody wanted Rosario at nine and a half or ten million dollars, which is which is surprising. But but again, when you look at that free agent list, you go there's there's a lot of there's a lot of guys. It's going to ensure that the price tag stays down because there's so many of them. So I think the Twins would probably be focused more on bringing back a Nelson Cruz, and then letting one of these young guys try to step up. And and, and again, you don't have have to hand it to one one guy. You have these guys go to go to spring training and say, look, we got one spot. Show me who wants it the most, and, and these are all talented guys here. So, so not a you know after after thought about it a bit, it wasn't a huge surprise there. There were some players who I was surprised were kept to agree to a deal. Johan Camargo, when he went to the Dominican Winter League to play for Aguilas, I thought that that was a like a preemptive. I need to showcase myself somewhere because I'm about to be non-tendered and. He agreed to a one-year deal with the Braves today, whereas they non-tendered Adam Duvall, who I thought that, you know, his number was big. Duvall's seemed like it was going to be close to $8 million. And the fact that Ozuna came off the books and they needed to replace that righty bat in the lineup meant that they were likely to keep Duvall. And maybe they'll bring him back still, but he was non-tendered today. So those were, those were both surprising. Then I'll also add Jesus Aguilar uh, with Miami. And I like Jesus Aguilar. I think he's a good... Hitter, he deserves to be on a big league roster. In Miami, with Garrett Cooper there, and with Lewin Diaz, who's also towards the back of the top 100, although speaking of the Dominican Winter League, he has not looked very good there, offensively anyway, in my my looks at Estrellas. But Aguilar is expensive, four years of service, and I think his number was also like close to $5 million projected. I don't know what the, the number that they agreed upon was, but I figured that they would allocate that to pitching depth. It was four, four, three, five. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, like, in a vacuum, Jesus Aguilar for that number seems pretty good to me, but just given the circumstances on that roster, I predicted that they would cut him loose, and they did not. Jonathan Holder was non-tendered by the Yankees today. That guy's stuff has kind of fallen off a, a cliff. Uh, he was once someone who I thought had a chance to be, like, late-inning power reliever, and it's, it's more like a bunch of cutters now. Uh, so he was non tendered by the Yankees. Eric Gonzalez kept by Pittsburgh. Man, what are they going to do in Pittsburgh? They, they've they got, I understand their desire to have 
guys like this around. I think it's an interesting approach that teams like San Francisco and, and Baltimore have taken where they're sort of collecting post-prospect guys and, and trying change of scenery stuff with them to see if it works. But in Pittsburgh, they've got Cole Tucker, Kevin Newman, Adam Frazier, Eric Gonzalez, Colin Moran, Cabrian Hayes needs to play third base every day. I just don't see enough space for all of these bodies. And perhaps there's time for some other dominoes to fall still. But I was surprised that that Pittsburgh kept Eric Gonzalez. Was there anybody that was retained today that agreed to a deal that you were kind of surprised by? The biggest surprise for me was was Tommy Pham getting tendered by by the Padres. I thought with the injuries that he he suffered during the season, uh, we found out recently that he he had to undergo wrist surgery. Then he had this incident at a a strip club in San Diego about a month ago where he was stabbing his back. And uh, although he right away, he was saying, I'm I'm on the road to recovery. I'm going to be fine. But then we find out in the last week he was suing this not the, the strip club because he suffered catastrophic injuries. <laughs> and so what I was thinking is, well, if the Padres tender him a contract for eight or $9 million, they don't think he has catastrophic injuries. And so I, <laughs> once I saw that, I was thinking, I think they're going to they're gonna non-tender FAM, or maybe tam- FAM's just covering for himself in case he gets non-tender. So that was a little bit of a surprise. I thought that would have given A.J. Preller some flexibility in the offseason. I, I think they really liked what Jerks and Profar brought to the table. He was one of their best hitters the last month of the season. He has that versatility. So that one was a bit surprising for me. Um, you mentioned Jesus Aguilar. I think if you know, I think teams at this point were are probably assuming that the universal DH is going to be in play. In that case, I think, you know, I think having Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar there doesn't allow for them to give one of their young guys playing time with Lou and Diaz. But if there's a universal DH, I think it does work out. They they still don't have much on their payroll. So yeah, that's true. adding Aguilar for 4.35 isn't a big deal right now. And I still think they have room to add to their pitching staff. Yeah, the Angels, the last team I think I want to touch on, oh, I guess, no, the, the the two Los Angeles teams are interesting because the Dodgers, of course, if you had to pick a team that is doing as well or better than every other club financially at this point, it's the Dodgers. They're, they're in Los Angeles. They've had an ownership group that has pumped a ton of money into the team since they purchased it. They're coming off a World Series win. So they did not tender anybody today, but they did acquire Corey Knebel, from the Brewers. Knable was one of the higher probability non-tenders, former all-star closer who has been hurt of late. All those saves you rack up, earn you money in arbitration, and the Brewers are a small market team with a GM that comes from like the Jeff Now Astros tree. And so this is their approach is that they non-tender a lot of guys. And this is now the second year in a row that the Dodgers have taken a small market team's injured former closer who was non-tendered and just been like, look, we can look in the couch cushions of the clubhouse and have enough money to find, to pay Corey Knebel or uh, Blake Trinan. And if it works out, then we've got another late inning reliever, a type of talent who we couldn't typically acquire otherwise, unless he was hurt and expensive on a small market team. So, I think that this is 
one of those underutilized ways. Like, it shocks me that that no one did this with Brad Hand, who I think I'd rather have than Knable, candidly, uh, just because, like, you know, Brad Hand hasn't been quite as hurt as Knable, and that guy can dump in breaking balls even if he's losing velo and, and still be effective, whereas Knable, I'm not sure. So I don't know if the target was right, but I, I really like this approach from the Dodgers. And then the Angels have got to, like, they are just turning over the pitching staff again. Hobie Milner's one thing, you know, he's like a a specialist type. Hansel Robles is is another thing where he was bad and expensive, and so I get that. And, like, Justin Anderson's not great. But Matt Andrees and Keenan Middleton, Middleton's just coming off of TJ. Like, I, I would not have looked at his 2020 season and made and drawn any conclusions based on that. He had a bunch more velocity in 2020 than he did immediately after he came back from Tommy John. And so I think there's reason to believe that like this guy just was not, had not harnessed his newfound like rehab stuff just yet, but they non-tendered him. And then Matt Andres, I just think is a good 40 man swing guy, like long relief spot start. Everybody needs a guy like this. And he was non-tender today as well. And I, I feel bad for Perry Manazian, who it seems like is helming an organization that for the last, I don't know, six months has been, you know, behaving as badly as a cost-cutting, from a cost-cutting standpoint as any team in baseball. They furloughed all of their scouts before the draft. And uh, there was thought that that the Angels were one of the teams that, wanted to curtail spending on some of the, you know, the, in the data sharing discussions were perhaps one of the teams that thought that there just shouldn't be a season played as a way of minimizing their losses. And so here we are again with, you know, some of these valuable pitching pieces being non-tendered. And then they then they went out and acquired Jose Iglesias <laughs> from Baltimore uh, for a couple of pitching prospects. Uh, including Garrett Stallings, um, you know, it was like one of the a back end starter type of prospect from Tennessee, and another low level guy who actually I don't know anything about as we're sitting here. But yeah, so the two LA teams I thought were were fascinating too to see how they operated today. And this is like not a great. This is a weird and and exhausting day for us at this at the site, and it sucks for all the players who are now out there looking for work. I think it's also really interesting to see, you know, like. This, this is sort of exposing some of the player movement stuff that the Players Association should have a problem with and actively try to work toward eliminating from our game if they can because it's just it's it's not good for baseball where over the last couple of weeks we've had probably close to 75 guys just cut away from rosters because teams have decided, eh, they're pretty good. They were good enough to play for us in 2020. But their salary relative to that and what we think their skill is compared to the other guys we have in the minors or what the market is going to be like when it's flooded with other guys like this is just better. And that's kind of concerning. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where some of these guys end up and how many rosters get reshaped very, very quickly. Is there any is there any team, Jason, who you think like can take advantage of this who might be able to turn the ship around a little more quickly because the market is just so flooded with quality big leaguers after today? You know, taking a look at each team's payroll compared to where they ended last year, 
there's there's a lot of teams that are you know in in an off season they they would appear to be in much better shape and you know this this time this time we just don't know um the rangers i think are 75 million close to maybe 80 million less than they ended last season with so you know they got a new stadium we just don't know enough about what their plans are and and they're i mean they have nothing right now they you know they have a lot of young guys they have not really much to be excited about but it's pretty much a a clean slate if their ownership said let's you know sure what let's spend what we where we were last year let's bring in some big names to you know bring some excitement to the town with the new stadium once the fans could come back but you know, even a team like the Yankees has has a ton of space now. They're they're going to go. They're they're going to sign one of the big free agents at least. Maybe maybe same with the Mets. So yeah, I think it is. Yeah, there's there's some things that are just not not very fun right now about about the game. But also, I look at the Angels situation and you know, a new GM Perry Manassian, and I don't know. I have no idea what direction he's going to go with this team. We don't know if Artie Moreno is going to want to spend big. Um, we don't know if. Manassian wants to really focus on building up the farm system. Um, so I think, you know, it, it gives us at least, you know, he really wanted a good defensive shortstop right away. And we don't know if that was just, you know, he really likes Jose Iglesias or he just liked that he only makes three million bucks. And, he, you know, he, he wasn't going to go after a Marcus Simeon. It would have cost much more. So, you know, and maybe he looks at that, the back end of his 40-man roster and says, yeah, I don't really know too much about all these relievers let me non-tender five of them and now I, I have all this space to work with i can go out and get some guys that i'm familiar with or guys that i really like so i, I think that's you know that's always interesting that's fun it's going to be really fun to see what kim ang does in, in miami again you know whenever they do anything it's like okay well they they made their first trade the other day they they picked up adam simber and they kept jesus aguilar and so you know, this offseason, I think a lot of people are down on it and people are kind of pessimistic about what's going to happen. But at least, you know, so far, it's not that that alarming to me so far. For me, it's kind of more like a eh, this is pretty much how things have been going. We'll see. I think the guys in the, the mid-level guys in free agency are going to get hurt, but we'll see. You know, it's always fun for me putting these rosters back together once once guys start signing. So I'm hopeful. Real quick, do you want to go through... Uh... Rule five candidates. Yeah. Let's, uh, you have some players in mind. All right. So here's my, my rule. I think it's worthwhile that JJ Cooper at baseball America does this and he loves it and is good at it. But, um, I don't do the, like, here's who I think, you know, might get taken in the rule five just because the, the confluence of variables that needs to come together for a team to take a guy is we have the 40 man space. We have a favorable evaluation of the player and we need, you know, that exact position and think he's going to stay on the roster. And like, it's a lot of different things that have to occur. And so I don't do like the whole write a giant article, but I did comb through the roster resource pages and the board to just see who the names of the guys that I like, who, or people in baseball have told me that they like are. So I've got a little bit of a list from just one pass. I had someone with the team ask me like, hey, give me a list of names. So here's here's my list of names and I'll, and I'll talk about them quickly. So the first one is Ryan Noda with Toronto. Of all the players from like the last, I tweeted about this from the, I think the prospects account. 
gosh, month, maybe months ago at this point. But if you look at like the last five years of minor league statistics and look at the adjusted runs created plus of like the, the highest performing minor leaguers, it's almost all guys you know because they're almost all good big leaguers and Ryan Noda. So it was like a mess of like Vlad Jr., Wander Franco, et cetera, et cetera, and Ryan Noda with Toronto. So, you know, he's a small school corner bat. He's been old for his level pretty consistently, but he has performed at a super duper high level. So he he's interesting. Then you have like the, is this pitcher healthy group? So that's Curtis Taylor, big Canadian reliever who's hopped around to a couple different organizations at this point. Alex Spies, who was like your 6'3", 180-pound high school arm coming out of the draft. Big-time arm strength and a breaking ball. Got hurt, had surgery, pitched briefly late in the season last year and was like up to 102 or something like that. And the Rangers just shut him down. He was throwing too hard and they shut him down. And I, I don't know if anyone has even seen him pitch since then, but the last I saw him, he was throwing 100. Then also in the Ranger system, there's Kelvin Gonzalez, who is 23. He has pitched at the lower levels. His guy was like a 10K uh, signee by the Royals at one point, and then he was traded to Texas for international pool space. And in 2019, he was like mid-90s, two good secondary pitches, like you know, vertical dropping, breaking stuff. And I, I think he's got legit like big league bullpen stuff, and they did not protect him. So he's on my list. Then you have the pitchability types who, you know, if a team needs someone to take a turn every fifth day or to be a long man out of the bullpen, then I think some of these guys fit. So that's Brian Howard and Parker Dunshee, both with Oakland. I don't know how Dunshee looked during fall instructs. I did not see him, but last I saw him was with Team USA last fall. And he looked like a, a back-end starter to me. So yeah, Brian Howard and Parker Dunshee with Oakland. Tommy Romero with Tampa Bay. Packy Naughton, which I like to, you know, say with a Boston accent if you can. He's Packy f***ing Naughton, dude. He was acquired by the Angels in a deal. They did not protect him. He's in that mix. Then you've got the teams that have too many guys. So that's the Yankees. And they have a bunch of guys who you can consider. So I'm not even going to go through them. So they're a bunch of Yankee arms and a couple Houston arms. Jose Alberto Rivera, who was like 94 to 97, touch 99 in 2019. A uh, very wild relief pitcher might be in that Johan Ramirez bucket where someone is just like, screw it, let's take him. And then Angel Macuare, a big righty, younger, uh, with expanded rosters as a possible thing. I think there's increased likelihood of draft and stash guys. So there's Angel Macuare in Houston system who's got a, a big-time vertical movement on his fastball. There's Jose Fermin who's a contact-oriented middle infielder in the Cleveland system. They've got a slew of those guys, and I, I think Fermin is pretty interesting. You've got Josh Roberson in Miami system, who was not a great prospect for a little while and then had a velo spike and then came back down. He was 93-96 for a while. I think he's interesting. And then two stashable Phillies guys, Simon Muziati, who also has dealt with injury but has leadoff quality traits, and Francisco Morales, who is young, but you could I I think you could sneak that guy through a year on the active roster as a reliever. He's mid nineties with a plus breaking ball, so I kind of worry that Philly might lose Francisco Morales again, especially if the rosters are expanded. And then you've got Eggy Rosario in the Padres system, who if teams saw him during instructs, maybe they'll take him. He raked during the fall. And then Ricardo Genovese with San Francisco, who's like a big bodied catcher with power. 
and he catches okay, but I, you know, who knows what that's going to mean in a couple of years if we've got robo zones. And that's my list. Do you have any Jason before we split? <laughs> that's a good list. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of names. I mean, if I if I can add anything, it's just I, I think that you mentioned the rosters. So if they were to expand the rosters again, like they did, I think at, at this point last year they had decided on twenty six man rosters, thirteen uh, thirteen pitcher limit. So that that makes it a little bit tougher to, to to try to hide a guy who's just not even close, but has that upside. And the way that teams use pitchers, anyways, these days, they it's hard to hide a guy there. Once they expanded to twenty eight and got rid of the the pitcher limit, you know these guys have nine or ten relievers. If they knew that was going to be the case, I think there would be some more guys that that you you know just try to stash in there and hide and have them pitch in, in, in long relief. Same deal with, with the bench, with, with trying to find a position player. These guys are looking for versatility, typically guys who make contact and aren't just going to get, you know, they're not going to play very often. So you really want them to be able to handle the bat and, and you know, guys who swing and miss too much and are playing once every, once a week maybe, it, they're they're going to struggle. They're not going to give you much value at all. The rosters are set up in any way where teams are going to have that extra extra bench player and that's in the case where there is a pitcher limit so a national league team or actually if 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 they go with the universal dh you'd have four guys on the bench and so you still you still want guys who can play if it's if it's an outfielder you want to be able to play all three positions or you want a guy who can play infield and outfield so it's hard to just pick out a guy like the padres have tirso ornelas who is one of their better prospects but he's I don't think he's gone past high A. Um, he's only 20 years old. You know, if you're just trying to steal a prospect away from the Padres and you're a team like, you know, the, the Orioles and you're like, we're not going to compete this year. Let's just stash this guy and we want to take him away from the Padres. You you, you could do that. But he's probably going to struggle, you know, when he does play. So we'll, we'll be interesting to see what, what happens this year. I, you know, I'm not sure if there's going to be any clarity on rosters before before uh i guess the rule rule five draft is going to come up it's next week i guess we're like eight days away from it so probably not yeah i don't think so i think that anything done is going to be done with like anticipating something you know not not knowing anything and so yeah does whose organization is in position to take a six-figure risk (laughs) like hey here's a guy who we might be able to use and we might be able to keep so yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with this year's Rule 5. It's going to be weird. All the Rule 5s are weird, but this one will be especially so. So we have gone on for quite a while now on minor transactions. And I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Jason for joining and for Dylan Higgins for producing. I am Eric Longenhagen, and this has been another Fangraphs audio segment. Welcome to this section of the podcast where we will be discussing Kyle Schwarber. Uh, my name is Craig Edwards, and I have Ben Clemens along with me. Hey, Ben. Hey, Craig. How's it going? Good. Good. I don't know. It wasn't maybe quite the bloodbath everyone was expecting, but there were some interesting non-tenders. I think, uh, you know, Archie Bradley is one of the the more interesting ones, but uh, I think the, the biggest name and, you know, the biggest most interesting player in terms of their career trajectory was was Kyle Schwarber. He was probably only going to have to make about $8 million next year, but the Cubs, who 
in previous seasons have been, you know, fairly a high high payroll team, decided that they didn't want a 28-year-old uh, left-handed hitting power outfielder for just uh, $8 million. I don't know if this was... I, I don't I don't think it was necessarily expected that the Cubs would get rid of Schwarber, more that it was uh, a possibility. I think most of the focus around the Cubs was whether or not they were going to trade Chris Bryant. But I think that in the end, Schwarber was the was the guy who, who just sort of had to get cut in terms of if the Cubs are trying to guarantee themselves a, a much lower payroll for, for next season. Um, I think that among the things that we can get into a little bit here, just, you know, his career trajectory from, you know, being a very high draft pick to being uh, perhaps overrated uh, as, as a player, then maybe, you know, what would have happened if the Cubs had traded him at some point before now. And uh, yeah, he was the, uh, the other potential piece going out in the trade that sent Glaber Torres to the Yankees, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, at the, at the same time, if the Cubs, well, let's just jump into that. What if, so if instead of uh, trading Glaber Torres, they had traded Kyle Schwarber. You know, Torres would now be what their starting second baseman, third baseman, probably second baseman, second or third. Yeah, so I mean, like Im- imagine having a Rizzo, Torres, Baez, Bryant, infield. I mean, is that yeah. is that immediately the the best infield in baseball? Mm, the Padres infield is pretty good, but yeah. it is pretty good. It's one of the best infields in baseball. Yeah, so that right. would be a big boon to them. But on the other hand, you could easily argue that Schwarber won them the 2016 World Series. Yeah, I mean, he came in and, you know, he had those big at-bats uh, against Cleveland. And, you know, everybody, you know, didn't think he was going to play at all. And, you know, obviously him coming back was, was you know, sort of, you know, made out to be, you know, a near miracle. And nobody would knew what he was doing down in Arizona. And so, I mean, obviously... So there's that what if, and maybe they don't win the World Series. So, okay, let's take that out of it. What about after the season? Let's say they traded him for a pitcher. I, you know, I looked up, I think Mike Petriello over at MLB.com said, hey, you know, they should trade him, you know, and then listed a number of pitchers that that maybe they could be part of uh, a trade. Um, You know, maybe I think one of the guys he mentioned, and uh, obviously, it didn't work out the same way because the the White Sox got a lot more from from for him. But you know, uh, Chris Sale, Carlos Carrasco, I think was a name mentioned. Chris Archer, and you know, he's <laughs> that would have been had his issues <laughs> as well. But at the same time, you know, you know that just six months later, the Cubs then traded Eloy Jimenez for for Jose Quintana in right. order to and try and. I think you could you know, say that. Schwarber and Eloy are very similar types of players. I mean, they they get to it a little bit differently, but they're you know, and they're, it's lefty versus righty, but they're kind of iffy fielding left fielders whose calling card is their bat. Yeah. So you could see that being a switch that they could have made. Like, hey, we'll give you Schwarber. He's maybe doesn't have the ceiling of Eloy, but he's in the majors right now. Mm-hmm. And they had the the issue in the middle of 2017 where they really needed a starter. And so that's why they traded for Quintana. But if they had traded for that starter previously in the, the prior offseason, maybe they don't have to trade Eloy for Quintana. Maybe, who knows, you know, Chris Archer would be in the rotation or maybe Carlos Carrasco. I don't know. But 
you know, then Eloy Jimenez would now be the Cubs starting left fielder and, you know, is basically a younger version of, of Schwarber and I guess a cheaper one. But anyway, those are interesting what ifs. The, yeah, the Cubs think, are, uh, and Schwarber specifically, have a lot of sliding doors moments just because they have been in this like churning to compete mode for basically since before they got good. They were already kind of in the trying to figure out how to build the major league roster mode in 2015. And then from 2015 to 2020, it's just constantly been like, who are the Cubs going to trade to get better pitching or who are the Cubs going to trade to fill this hole? So there's just so many different ways they could have gone. Yeah. And obviously they ended up trading Jorge Soler for Wade Davis, but that was only a, you know, a one year situation. And then obviously after Wade Davis left, then they had some bullpen issues and ended up signing Craig Kimbrell, which obviously hasn't gone as expected. But getting back to Schwarber, you know, he was the fourth overall pick in 2014. Um, I know you, you took a a quick look at, at that 2014 first round. You know, there's Michael Conforto is the guy that went several picks after uh, Schwarber that, you know, has has had a better overall major league career. Although uh, he's obviously had some injuries, um, Trey Turner is in the first round, and then it, if you go further back, you you can find Matt Chapman, uh, who obviously has been the best player of that group. But uh, I learned from this that Trey Turner has never been an All Star. Huh. That kind of surprised me. Yeah. And then I guess Aaron Nola, although the Cubs very famously don't draft pitching, so that was probably never on the board. Yeah, it does. I don't think that that was probably a, a strong option for them although you know maybe was it ryan terrio and was it mike fontenot were they both at lsu a bit before nola was i think so yeah yeah i think that if you're looking back now there are other decisions they could have made but i i think that even knowing that they just got rid of him you know he's been he's been worth about 10 wins you know plus the the postseason i think that for a fourth overall pick that's that's in like the median. If you can get, you know, 10 wins out of out of five major league seasons, basically. Yeah, his shape has been weird because he was just so good right away. Like you often think of getting your 10 wins as it taking a while and them eventually developing into a star. And he's just been solid right from the jump. His best year on a per plate appearance basis was his first year. Yeah, and this is including a year that he missed, you know, an entire season in there as well. So I mean, I think overall, if you if you looked at what could be expected of a fourth overall pick, I think that that Schwarber is is about what about what you would hope for. Um, I mean, or I guess about what you would reasonably expect. You would hope yeah. for more, but if you got this, that's you would say, you know, you'll you'll take it. I agree, and I think it's even a little better than that because you know he's not going to play his last year. So yeah, so he 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 did it faster it into into a very short number of years and yeah, five team control years when a lot of people get closer to seven. Yeah. And you know, I, I know what I think about, you know, his value now, but I was curious to get your perspective on, on what you, what you make of this last season and, you know, the year before. Yeah. It's hard to take too much out of this last season just because it was short and he had 220 BABIP and just was overall like just not great but kind of what i take away from schwarber is these kinds of hitters these like big lefty hitters who rely on power don't have 
incredibly high ceilings unless they have really, really good play discipline. And I think that a lot of people thought Schroeder would develop that. He kind of looks the type, if you will. He doesn't swing too much. He swings at like probably a little bit below average rate overall. Yeah. And he kind of looks like he's discerning out there and waiting for his pitches to pull. But he never managed to get either a high enough walk rate or low enough strikeout rate to really make this uh, very shiftable, kind of slow gameplay at the level you know, you'd want to. He has a career 113 WRC+, plus, which is not what you'd expect from a guy with kind of Schwarber's pedigree. Yeah, and I think part of the, the career numbers are a bit hampered because, you know, the Cubs have given him every opportunity. Well, not every opportunity, but they've given him a lot of opportunities to be a, you know, an everyday guy, not a platoon guy. And in the end, you know, he he's only got, you know, 400 some plate appearances against lefties because they've taken down his opportunities year by year against lefties as, as it's become sort of apparent that that's not really not really his his strong suit and he's you know he's got a 75 weighted runs created plus against lefties in his career and that that brings down his average and he's got the you know 120 some against uh against righties and so you can't just stick him out in left field or at dh and make him your 150 game type player but you know if you can platoon him you know that's still that's still a pretty valuable pretty valuable player I think that what what's sort of interesting is if you look at this season's numbers, you say, you know, that's that's pretty bad. Um, you yeah. know, but he hit for for decent power. If he had had a little bit better batted ball luck, he would have been above average. He probably struck out a little bit too much, hit way too many ground balls. But if you go and look at his last five hundred plate appearances, his last six hundred plate appearances, he's still that, you know, two and a half to three win player. Um, who hits, you know, is an above average bat and on defense, he's not good, but he's, he's not terrible. And, you know, obviously he came up as a catcher and he's got uh, a good, a good arm, which, which can help him. I don't know. I think that when he first went out to, to left field on a full-time basis, people forgot that, that, I mean, they looked at his body and said bad fielder and didn't consider that maybe he'd have a good arm. Yeah. I think his defensive value will never hit the the peaks it did in 2017 and 2018 when he was just getting looks like in 2018 he had eight uh, runs above average just with his arm which is just unheard of for a left fielder and now that people have just said ah well we just won't run on him too much that has kind of gone away and that was always his best aspect as a fielder just i mean it makes sense he was a catcher like you said just cannon of an arm yeah and the and the way that the way that the arm you know works you know you sort of you have to get to those balls in order to throw them on most balls to left field. The guy's not running to third, right? So exactly. You have to be able to get to the balls in order to take advantage. I do wonder if in the absence of Hayward, they would have tried him in right a little more, not because he's a great defender, but because his best aspects would play up there. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the case. Although I don't know if, because I, I think if, him throwing right instead of left. I don't know if that makes that that oh, much of a true. difference because you know Hayward did play a decent amount in center field and they never really tried tried Schwarber out. Yeah, out there's right. also something but, to be said for comfort. Like if he's used to playing left, the marginal gains you're going to get from moving over to right from I don't know a few more first to third uh, advancements prevented are probably not huge compared to 
if he just misjudges the ball. Right. Yeah. So do you think that Schwarber is going to go out and get a multi-year deal? I, I It seems to me like $8 million is not too much to pay for Kyle Schwarber, even with all of his his deficiencies. You know, I know when I did the free agent predictions, I said Jock Peterson would get two years and $20 million. I don't know that Jock Peterson and Kyle Schwarber are that far different of players. Yeah, I have a I have a sense that Schwarber probably wants a one year deal just to kind of reestablish his value. If he has a good season next year, then he's a pretty attractive free agent. And I in this potentially down season post pandemic, coming off of his worst season as a pro other than the one where he didn't play and already expecting to be a free agent next year, it would make a lot of sense to me for him to sign a one year deal. And I think that also opens up his options for where he can go more. Because if he's thinking, ah, this is just a one-year stopover, I'll improve my value, and then I'll go sign somewhere I really want to that really wants me, that sounds like a better long-term setup for him than taking a two-year deal somewhere, whoever will pay him, in kind of a dicey situation. Like, the Royals would definitely want Schwarber for a one-year deal. I think there's no question. But would Schwarber want to play for Kansas City for more than a year? Eh, maybe not. Yeah. So if you're the Cardinals, do you sign Schwarber out of spite? <laughs> Because I would. I never really I, I never really got the dislike for Schwarber. I, like, I, don't, I mean, the pitch isn't that. You're, you're not going to say, hey, you know, hey, Kyle, we, we think you're, a, you're an okay player. We really want to sign you. The main reason is spite. Yeah. But Kyle Schwarber does fit with potentially what the Cardinals are looking for. Left hand on bat. He has power. Corner outfield DH. Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of teams who could use a Schwarber. This kind of player is not the rarest, you know, a, a power-hitting lefty who is a below-average defender, but he's a good example of the archetype. I think that there will be a lot of teams interested in his services, I just depending on the price. The one thing that would make you question whether the Cardinals would do it is that they just cut Colton Wong to save $11 million. Schwarber's not really... Like, he's a very different player, but he's not a particularly better one. Yeah, value-wise, it's it's roughly... Yeah, it's, it's a similar look. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly... Wong has been about his equal at the plate in the last two, three years, which is shocking. <laughs> eh, two years. And that won't continue. But I, I'm skeptical that they're going to spend $8 million for a year, which is probably a reasonable expectation. I also get why the Cubs didn't, just because the way that they built their team is such that it's all happened now, right? Like all the guys are like coming up for free agency at the same time. Yeah, and I think that the, maybe the time to do something was a year ago, because they talked about shaking things up a year ago, and then they got rid of their manager and then didn't really do do much else. And then they've talked about it again this offseason, and obviously they are going to have a new, or they do have a new, you know, president of baseball operations or whatever Hoyer's yeah. title is. But I think that getting rid of Kyle Schwarber isn't exactly like, a massive shakeup to what they have. I, I think that if you're looking at them as a whole, $8 million is going to go a lot further in their rotation than it would in left field because they, yeah, I'm looking at the depth charts. You Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, fine. That's, that's a, that's a pretty good top two. Then Alec Mills, Adbert Alzale, Colin Rea, yeah, Tyson not Miller. Great. <laughs> like I mean it's just it's it's not there they they need guys in the rotation if they're going to, to compete next season yeah it's interesting one downside of the build around hitting 
and create a window plan is that they all get expensive at the same time. And like at the same time, because you're supplementing your pitching with free agency, you're not going to have any kind of out of cycle great arms there. I mean, Alzley has been kind of their one chance at it and he's you know fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, what is it? Braylon Marquez is a bit lower. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I think that the Schwarber non-tender is kind of a microcosm of what became of the Cubs presumptive dynasty was that everyone kind of expected them to be a team that would build to have these unending waves like the Dodgers where they just constantly had more people coming up and they had a few cornerstone pieces. But instead, they took the route of building one really dominant burst team where everyone was synced at the same time. They weren't doing, you know, six different timelines and hoping to get them overlapping enough to be really good, which is the Dodgers model. They have the Seager generation, then there's the Dustin May kind of and Walker Bueller level of people, and they keep drafting, keep drafting. The Cubs went all in on a window. And so the fact that Schwarber is getting non-tendered here because their payroll has gotten big is just kind of a, that's the natural end point of the way that they built the team. Yeah. And they probably, we'd probably think of them differently if, you know, they had made it to the world series in 2015 or, you know, done the same in, in 2017, something like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do think that they got kind of averagely lucky in playoff luck, taken all things together, but a little bit better playoff luck. And we think about these Cubs a lot differently. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think, obviously, you trade all of the luck in the world to get whatever you got in 2016 in terms of, of that that yeah. expectation. But That's I one think, thing that I think gets underrated in looking at the Cubs as quote-unquote failure to make a dynasty, which, you know, is a point I just made, so I'm certainly guilty of this. They won a World Series, and that was the mandate. The whole point of this Cubs team was to get good enough to win one World Series, not to build an endless great contender. Yeah. Although they were so close to not, and um, yes, yeah, so close. You wonder Could you how imagine all if they this didn't? looks. I do think that the next few years would have gone pretty differently. Yeah, like they still would have been going for it. Yeah, exactly. But, okay, I don't know. I think I think we've we've covered Kyle Schwarber in enough depth as as has been deserved. Agreed. I think that this is about the most interesting non-tender decision, and I think we gave it. It's just discussion, and I'm very interested to see where he signs. Same here. Hey, thanks everyone for uh, checking this Kyle Schwarber podcast part out. I'm Craig. And I'm Ben. Thank you. This has been Fangraphs Audio. If you liked what you heard and you want to support us, consider a Fangraphs membership for yourself or for a friend. Ad-free memberships are the best way to browse Fangraphs.com and all of the content you are helping us make. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening.